week I want to move into the second major theme of the book of Ephesians and it's this theme of identity. So if you're taking notes you can write identity at the top of your page. We're going to talk about your identity. We're going to talk about, you know, who you are and how the scripture defines us and changes us, okay? I can remember very clearly. I'm uh, 29 years old. So I was born in 1982. So I guess the year was 1989. I was in second grade and uh, I went to Ridge Road Elementary School and Miss Selecki was my teacher and uh, I remember being in an assembly of about, you know, I don't know, it felt like 10,000, but it was probably like a hundred kids, you know, when you're second grade, everything's a little bit bigger and uh, you know, all these kids are there and I'm there and it's second grade and I'm just like, you know, I've seen the karate kid, you know what I'm saying? I've watched growing pains, you know, this is the era of Ralph Macchio and Kirk Cameron, you know, what I'm, some of you guys that are like 19 are like who, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, for those of you that have been around a little while, you know who those people are. And, you know, I mean, they were the cool guys. I mean, they were the guys that like every guy wanted to be. And, you know, when you were young and so anyways, it's second grade and I'm looking through the crowd and I find this, I think he was fifth or sixth grader at the time. Sixth grade was still in my elementary school and he was a sixth grader and he was like, you know, Kirk Cameron's clone. Like he was cool. He had the pants. He had the pegged for those of you who remember this, you remember pegging your pants? All right, Maya, one person. The rest of you are like, dude, I'm 20. What the heck is pegging your pants? Anyways, I'm 29, man, and we pegged our pants, okay? So you pegged your pants, and you wore deck shoes, which are back in, by the way. Uh, it's all coming back around to the 80s. But anyways, you know, um, we had the pegged pants and the deck shoes, and, you know, he had the entire look. He had the little curly mullet thing going on that Kirk Cameron had, you know. And I remember looking at this kid, sixth grader. The chicks digged him. You know, everybody was, he was in. I remember looking at him and thinking to myself, okay, that's what I'm going to do. That's the plan. That right there is the plan. And I made a plan subconsciously and consciously to work my way to a place where I was that kid. Dating the cool girl, looking the right way, modeling myself after this kid who I genuinely don't even know his name. And, you know, we have in our culture... This constant, constant, uh, you know, pulling and pushing for identity and for acceptance. And, you know, it comes in a million different ways. When you're a little kid, it's your bike, you know, at least it was for me. Like, you know, like, is your bike awesome? Like, and if your bike is awesome, that just elevated you a couple steps or your clothes. Like, are your clothes like, you know, Walmart specials or are they cool? You know, like, are they like bass shoes? That's what's cool. when I was a kid, you know, and then you find out your house. Well, do you live in a, a small dumpy house or a nice big house? Do you, you know, is it a house in the right area or is it in the wrong area? What do your parents do? Because that, you know, well, that kind of defines me, you know, like my parents do this for work or they do that for work. So I'm proud of that or I'm ashamed of that. Who's your older brother? Who's your older sister? Who are they in school? And how does that define you? And you feel like all these things start to define you. How good are you at sports? Are you like the best guy on the team? Are you the guy that didn't make the team? Where do you fall in the spectrum of sports? Because then that starts to help define you. How good are you at music? Are you like first trumpet in the trumpet band? Or are you not even in the band? Or do you rock out on guitar and everybody thinks you're cool? You know, how well do you do at school? Are you the really, you know, the guy that was so smart when you're in elementary school or, you know, uh, middle school or high school, whatever? How attractive are you? Do the guys go for you? Do the girls go for you? Do people line up asking, you know, to date you? Who do you date? Do they look right? Are they 
pretty? Are they handsome? Are they popular? All these things define us. What type of car do you drive? And does that make you feel important that you drive that car? I'm speaking your language. What college did you go to? When you say your name of your college, you go, I want to Or do you go, yeah, I went to. How do you define? Did you go to college? How did you define yourself through that process? All these things are little ways that you and I start to build this collection that becomes our identity. How tall are you? How short are you? Are you too tall or too short, too fat or too skinny? Do you have too many pimples or is your nose just a little too big? Do your ears poke out or do they suck in? Do your lobes get stuck to the side of your face or are they flapping free? I'm a flea flapper. We have any free flappers here? Okay, Madison, heck yeah, your foot. How many stuck to the side of your head, people? Come on. Come on, stuck. Yeah, liars. There's more than that. Check it out now. Oh, wow, I can move them. Yeah, that's because they're free flapping, all right? And then you've got the, the side. You've got an innie that you're totally proud of, or you've got an Audi that you hide from the crowd, right? Everybody's, everybody's, you know, got different things. Are you self-conscious about this? The big zit in the middle of your forehead. Are you self-conscious about whatever the voice that your voice cracks when you talk in front of people? What are you self-conscious about? What consumes you that your, you know, your butt doesn't look quite right in those pants or whatever it is, right? Seriously. Oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not speaking to perfect people here, right? This is a hot mess of a crowd, right? Yeah, because I'm here too. It's true. Listen, it's true. What are you insecure about? What are you longing for acceptance? And maybe you're like, come on, Justin, that's little stuff. Sure, yeah, it's little stuff. But then when you get older, it becomes, well, how much money do you make? How, what is the, how, how much does Bank of America say you're worth? Or, or you know, whoever you use, People's Bank. Um, what do they say about you? What does your 401k say about you? What does your promotion say about you? You know, and what we do, consciously or unconsciously, we spend our lives building this little structure, brick by brick. You've been doing it. And you say, oh, I've got that. I'm valuable. Oh, I've got that. I'm less valuable. I've got that. I'm accepted. Ah, I'm not accepted. And we start building this structure that's us. And when we come to Christ, this is what most of us do. We come with our image of ourself and we say, all right, here it is. Here it is. Somebody told me my collar was messed up. Here it is, God. Here's my image of me. How am I doing? Am I looking okay? Am I looking nice? God, I've got this image, this self image. And whether I realize it or not, it deeply controls who I am, how I think, how confident I am, the things I do, the things I don't do. And God comes along. Seriously, this is how it works. God says, oh, your self-image. Yeah, your self-image. Yeah, your self-image. He crushes it, crushes it, destroys it. This is actually how it works in Christianity. In Jesus, the first thing that has to happen is that self-image must be crushed, destroyed. 
You can no longer define yourself by the car you drive, by the clothes you wear, by your social status. All those things get stripped from you if you're to come to Jesus. What I want to do today is a radical redefinition of who you are. And if you allow it, this will dramatically mess with your head. It doesn't matter really how long you've been a Christian or whether you're not a Christian here. This will mess with your head because so much of who we are is tied up in our stuff and in our things and in how valuable. And I know this person and I have this relationship and all of these things. And I want to show you how the scripture just literally crushes that. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go to verse 1. Here we go. And you. That's how it starts. And you. Don't you love that? If you read Ephesians chapter 1, which we read the entire thing to the Braveheart soundtrack last week. If you read that, what you know is that it's huge. It's like this galactic universal wow, right? It's like, you know, you were dead. The trespasses of God took them away. He's over all. Like it's this huge display of the glory of God. And then he shrinks it right down to and you. He goes from huge, big glory God to you in verse 1. And you. Right. And he's going to tell us something about ourselves that immediately defines how God views people. And you were dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins which you once walked. And you were dead. Do you remember that movie? Listen, I'm not endorsing this movie. I can't remember anything about it. It was like the first like rated PG-13 or rated R movie I saw as a kid, other than Rain Man. Anybody remember Rain Man? Yeah, I watched that too, and I can't remember that one either. But, uh, but does anybody remember Weekend at Bernie's? Come on, you remember Weekend at Bernie's, the dead guy, you know? And he's dead, and, like, and he obviously can't do anything because he's dead, but I can't remember the whole situation, but they have to like keep him alive, you know what I mean? They have to like pretend like he's alive. So they like tie a rope to his hand, and he sits on the beach with a, thing in his, you know, a, a drink in his cup, and, and they say, hey, Bernie... You guys remember this? And like, you haven't seen it, you don't remember, but this guy is like, you know, he's alive the entire time, or not really, but they pretend like he's alive the entire time because they, for some reason, have to keep him going. And this is exactly the reality that we have to realize is the first thing scripture says about us is that we're dead, not wounded. See, if you were wounded, you could kind of strive to make yourself better. But what the scripture tells us right from the beginning is, hey, by the way, you're dead. Dead. A dead person cannot improve on themselves, right? A dead person can't say, you know, let me fix my hair a little bit. A dead person can't say, you know, if I work at this really hard, I could be a better Christian. A dead person is dead. They can't help themselves. They can't do anything. They are dead, right? And so it says that you're dead in your sin. You're dead in sin. That means, check this out, if you have an Ivy League doctorate, you're dead. That's what it means. If you dropped out at middle school and never went beyond that in your education, you're dead. That means if you are a millionaire because of your incredible business gifting, you're dead. We'll take your money, though, if you want. If you're poor, broken, living on food stamps, you know, buying milk with a little picture of milk, then you're still dead. The little kid that lives in a third world country that does not have food is dead in his sins. Every, do you see this? This is crazy. This is such an incredible social statement that Paul's making. He's saying, hey. The ground is totally level. It's totally level. It doesn't mean that God doesn't value, you know, success or whatever. It doesn't mean that you, you can't get an education. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that in all respects, the ground is level. Oh, you? Oh, yeah, you're really talented. Dead. 
dude, you're hardly good at anything dead. Either way, no matter what, in the eyes of God, you are dead. You may say, Justin, I'm living. What are you talking about? I'm talking about your spiritual state. You are dead, dead in your trespasses and sins. There's nothing you can do to resuscitate yourself. You are completely dead. Does everybody get this? So far, okay, good. Now it says you're dead in your sins, right? Which you once walked following the course of this world. That is a really interesting statement in the original text, the course of this world. It's actually that word course is actually age. In other words, it means following the age of this world, which of course makes no sense. So they have to say following the course of this world. But what he's talking about is the, the, the original text actually personifies the course of this world. It's the age that we live in. It's this world age called the course of this world. And you have to see it almost as a person. You've been following this world person, this person called world. You've been on their highway. You've been following the track and the train of the course of this world without even realizing it. You've been on this this process, this highway, following the course of this world. And then it says the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I skipped that little spot. They're following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is an obvious reference to Satan. There is a demonic realm that you do not even know or see very often in life that actually steers you. This is what the scripture teaches. Actually subconsciously steers you. It is a course or a highway that you have been on that you didn't even realize you were on because you were dead. So you couldn't even pick up on the senses that you were on this course. Check out verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the... That was terrible. And the body and the... And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Whoa. So first of all, he says your body has desires that because you're on the course of this world and you're deceived by the prince of the power of the air, you'll follow those desires. And you'll not just follow those desires. It's not just your body that will deceive you, your emotions, your feelings. It's also your mind. Now that messes with us because we like our minds. We're post-enlightenment, intelligent Americans, right? We like our minds. In other words, if I can't understand it, then I won't believe it, right? If I can't quantify it, grasp it, and calculate it, then I won't trust it. But what he's saying here is that your mind will actually deceive you, that your mind is not a trustworthy guide, that your mind can be deceived by spiritual forces that you're not even aware of. That the flesh and the mind bring you down a course that is the course of this world that will trick you into destroying yourself. I was on Facebook last night. One of four times a year I go on Facebook. Please never be offended if I don't respond to your Facebook-isms. I don't even know how to check them, okay? It's a low level of, you know, but he loves us all, right? And I saw this picture of some kids from high school that I haven't seen in 10 years, more than that maybe, 11 years. And uh, I saw them, and you know, everybody's put on like 40 pounds since high school, you know what I mean? Um, so everybody looks a little different. You're like, dude, I graduated high school, you know, last year, so maybe not you yet, but, but uh, they looked, you know, they looked different. And I started asking myself, I wonder what they're doing with their lives. I wonder if they're just watching football games and working, trying to sleep with a lot of girls and trying to make a lot of money. I wonder if that's all they're doing. I began to realize, man, deceived. The course of this world. 
It's just this pattern. It's just this whole thing. that It's a highway that everybody's on. And, you know, something in the back of your head says, I don't know if I'm supposed to be going this way. But then the whole course of the world, everybody's going that way. And so we find ourselves just kind of going that way. And here's the downside to the whole thing. You're dead. There's no cure. You can't fix yourself. You can't help yourself. Enough education is not going to transform you. Although I love education, enough psychology and social understanding is not going to change you. It doesn't matter what you try, enough medicine, law, a great family, a good community. None of it is going to change your dead condition before God. You're dead. This is your identity. Don't you all feel better about yourselves now? Yeah. Woo. That was good. All right. Let's close in prayer. No. All right. So this is what it says in verse four. Check this out. It says, but... Yay for the butts of God, right? Thank God for a butt, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of his, listen to that statement, great love. Not little love. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now you might say, Justin, we covered this last week. Yeah, you know, Paul didn't seem to mind saying it again. He didn't seem to sweat the fact that he wanted to say it all over again. It says, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So here's a question. What's the strategy of God? Love. That's the whole thing. Well, why would God, what's in it for God? What, what, you know, what does he want? He wants love. He, he's, that's why. That's the reason. Now, that should make you a little uncomfortable. And if it doesn't, you still haven't got it. There's this being that just loves you so much that when you could not help yourself at all, look at what he did for us. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love. That's the whole strategy. That's the reason with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him. That's Jesus. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Does this sound like God's angry at you? Does this sound like, you know, he's ticked about your sin? Or does this sound like he has given you a new identity that in Christ he made a unification happen between you and Jesus so that when Jesus came on this earth, he had identified with the human race. When he died, so did you. When he rose, so did you. And when he sat down, at the right hand of the Father, the place of victory and authority in the eyes of God. You might say, well, I don't feel that way. You know what? God doesn't really care whether or not you feel that way. This is a fact in all of eternity that in the eyes of God, you are seated with him in heavenly places. I've got a big statement to make. Write this down if you like taking notes. Your cry for identity is satisfied. I've been thinking about this all week. Your cry for identity is satisfied and extinguished. Through the gospel. Your cry for identity is both satisfied and extinguished through the gospel. It's satisfied because it meets every need that you have. The gospel will actually inform your identity way better than the car you drive, the clothes you wear, the amount of money you have, who your parents were. All those things crumble, get destroyed when you come to him because the ground's level. And you say, well, you know, I had great parents. Well, that's wonderful. That's a blessing in your life, but it doesn't get you anywhere with God. Well, you say, well, I've got lots of money. Well, that doesn't get you. Well, it says, well, I'm poor. And it says, blessed are the poor. And well, that doesn't get you in with God. None of those things, great or small, actually get you in with God because you're dead. But his great love has given us access 
And your cry for identity is satisfied and extinguished. It's satisfied because every need you have is met through what he says you are. And that's what we're going to look at next. And it's extinguished because you become a part of something way bigger. It's called the riches of his glorious inheritance. Open up your Bible if you've got it. And let's go to verse 18 in chapter 2. And I want to stay here for the rest of the morning here for the next couple minutes. You all with me today? Turn to the person next to you and say, this is really good. You should be paying attention. Verse 18, here we go. Man, I'm telling you, I've, I've been weeping over this verse this week. No joke, seriously, weeping over this verse. Verse 18. For through him, anybody want to guess who the him is? Yes, yeah, Jesus. You see through him, in him, with him, you know, all these things, that's all about Jesus, right? The interesting thing is it always goes back to him. It doesn't go back to you. Well, you know, I did really bad this week. Yeah, well, that's really not what this is about. That's not how you change. Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, let me put this in the hermeneutical context. He's speaking about both non-Jews and Jews. That's the context that he's talking about here. We both. He's saying, so through Christ, both the Jews and the non-Jews have access in one spirit to the Father. I want you to imagine something for a second. Okay? Imagine if you were at a coffee shop later today and in walks Brad Pitt. Okay? Hat on, beard, because that's the look he's going for. You know what I'm saying? Nobody sees, you know, nobody notices. And you sit down with your Starbucks right next to Brad. And you're like, hey, are, are you? And he goes, yes, I am. And if you start talking, you start connecting, you start to become friends. An hour goes by, an hour and a half goes by. And at the end of the conversation, Brad says, you know, I don't really do this with everybody, but I just want to give you my cell phone number. And if you ever want to talk again, if you ever want to take a flight to L.A. and hang out, if you ever want to be on one of the movie sets with me, whatever, just, just give me a call. We can hang out more. I really enjoyed this conversation. And he just gives you his cell phone number and maybe his email address, but it's not the one you get off like a website. It's like the Brad Pitt email address. And he just hands it to you and he says, you know, and maybe you don't think Brad Pitt's cool. I don't think Brad Pitt's cool. Maybe for you it's Michael Jordan that you ran into. Or maybe for you it's, you know, I don't know, whoever else is cool right now. And, and all of a sudden you find yourself with access. And you're like, dang. And what do you do? Yo, you're never going to believe what just happened, dude. That's the first thing you do. Why? Because I feel a little bit more important now, don't I? Because, I mean, come on, think about this. Try to push yourself in that position. You walk out of there and you're like, you know, like you feel like you've got something, don't you? Like all of a sudden you have a little bit more importance because Brad Pitt said you had more importance, right? Or whoever it is that you, because you just ran into Michael Jordan and it's like, dude, he actually kind of thought I was awesome, actually, you know? Like something inside you gets built up because of that. Imagine if it was like a world leader. Imagine if it was the president of the United States, whether you like or dislike the politics of today. Imagine either way, if the president was like, listen, I'd really love your advice on some things. So if you want to help me with this whole education problem, if you want to help me with this economic problem, give me a call anytime and let's talk this thing through because I think that your thoughts could really help me, you know, make some good decisions. You'd be like, crud, I better start reading the news now. You know, like you'd be like, you know, you would all of a sudden feel like you are important, right? Because you have access, right? Access in our culture makes us feel important. And so we actually look for it. And when we have it, we brag about it, don't we? It's like, yeah, I know him. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's not a big deal. It's like he's like one of the, yeah, I just know him because I'm because now you know who I am. 
cool, right? Because I know him, right? I have importance because of the access that I have to somebody else. But what if you had access to God? How important would that make you feel? What if you had a direct line to God? What if your line was just as clear as Mother Teresa's? What if your line was just as clear as, you know, uh, Billy Graham's? What if you had direct access to God? Wait a minute. I think the Bible says that, doesn't it? For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You see how this satisfies your craving for importance? You see how your identity needs to be redefined? You've got to throw away the fact that you had a rich dad or you have a nice car or whatever it is, you went to a great school or you did this or that or whatever it is or I'm really good at this. Stop building your structure on those stupid things. Bro, you don't understand. I broke records at my high school. You don't understand. God listens when I talk to him. I mean, what's cooler? Like, well, dude, I'd rather have a trophy. Come on, seriously. What I'm telling you is that your identity needs to be crushed and you've got to begin to define it the way that scripture defines it and everything in your life will change. You all with me today? Access. Through him, we've been given access to the Father. So then, look at verse 19. You are no longer strangers and aliens. That's good because I never wanted to wear the suit, right? But you are fellow citizens with the saints, right? You are fellow, what's that word? Come on, you guys breathing today? This is really good. I'm getting excited up here. You're fellow citizens, right? You're citizens. What does it mean that you're a citizen? Well, have you ever been out of the country? Have you ever been outside the country? I've gone out of the country uh, lots of times, actually. And uh, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, yeah, that was a joke because, you know, I didn't want to build my... Anyways, so, um, I, so I've been, you know, I've, I've had some t- opportunities to go out of the country, right? And every time I'm out of the country, it's like, you know, I remember the first time I was driving in Germany, right? And so I'm driving in Germany and I'm like, dude, I'm way over my head. I don't know what any of these signs say. Like, I'm driving in a country where I don't know the language. I'm really not good with languages. I'm sitting there and I'm sitting at a red light and all of a sudden it goes yellow. And I'm like, that's... It's supposed to go, that's back, and all of a sudden green. Oh, okay, go, go, go. And I had to learn that it goes green, yellow, red, yellow, green, right? Why? I, you know, because Germany just wanted to do that, and they can. And so that's how it goes in Germany. And, you know, there's all these different rules, and you feel like, you know, you feel kind of crazy. You feel like, I don't understand this whole system. And then you get back to America, and it's like, ah, oh, my wallet means something. I mean, not a ton, but it means something, you know what I mean? Like, in other words, like, I can use a car, I can get into a cab and... Well, actually, I can't get into a cab and have a conversation with somebody in English. But, you know, I could get into a cab and hopefully get somewhere I want to go. You know what I'm saying? In other words, like, I know how the process works. I have rights. I have privileges. I have protection because of my citizenship. Are you following me today? What I'm saying is that God has made you a citizen of a country that is not of this earth. It is an eternal country. And you have rights, privileges. You have protection because of that country. That's where you belong. And you might salute an American flag, and that's fine. God bless that. But there's a flag that is flying over your life that is far greater than any country on this earth. And that's where our identity is found. I have access to God, and I'm a citizen of his country. Are you seeing this today? I'm a citizen. Bro, you can get rid of all the false versions of you when you start to access the real thing that God's given us, the riches of his glorious inheritance. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And here's the big one. Members. Actually, there's a big one after this, but this one's really, really big. Members of the household of God. Members of the household of God. You know, family. Maybe your family's all jacked up. Good news is that 
Scripture says that when you receive Christ, he actually adopts you. And you might say, well, Justin, I want to be angry for the rest of my life because of what my parents did. Well, I mean, that's your choice. But what I'm telling you here is that all the issues that you have surrounding your messed up family find satisfaction in the gospel. You can go to a thousand psychology classes, and I'm not against that stuff. But what I'm telling you is that the ultimate source and substance of what you're looking for is the fact that you've been adopted by God himself, that he gives you his name. So my name is Justin Kendrick, Godson. I'm one of his. My name is marked by him. And you know what? When you have an identity that is founded in the fact that I've been adopted and that I have a father who is very wealthy and I have an inheritance that is stored up for me, I don't, don't you see how that changes everything? How it changes your whole outlook on life? Why are you stressing? Why are you trying to be important at work? Why are you trying to work into the conversation how important you are, who you know? Why are you wrestling with depression and with worry if this is actually who you are? Now, granted, I know that it's not as easy as saying, well, that's a done deal then. No, we've got to battle for this. We've got to consistently, purposefully, intentionally, daily apply our new identity to our minds. Don't we? That's the only way you win. That's the only way you win. Citizens and family members. But it gets even crazier than that. You know, I think if we actually built, if we actually built our self-image on these things, I think we could be healthy. I think we could be healthy people. I think it would change everything. Let's read the end of this thing and then, uh, and then move on to the next thing this morning. But I'm going to go from 19. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, this is a little bit foreign to us because we don't have temples in the same way that they had temples. But Hebrew culture for years and years and years and years was built on this one specific place called the temple, right? Temple was right in the center of Jerusalem. It was the seat of all cultural activity, musical activity, social activity, of course, religious activity. It was the heart of the nation. This temple was a sacred place built by the instruction of God through Solomon. It was changed a few times because of wars and things like that. But this place was still a very sacred place, right? It was a place of great um, value to the Hebrew people, to the Jewish people. It was a place that, you know, embodied their commitment and relationship with God because they believed that the temple was a place where, check this out, where heaven and earth met. It was the place where those two things touched, where heaven and earth actually touched together. But Paul says through this, through this book in Ephesians, he says, listen, that temple, that temple is not the new covenant. There's a new agreement between us and God. And the agreement between us and God is if you would allow him to shatter your little identity, he'll start to pick up the little pieces that he finds of your shattered identity and one by one by one he'll start placing them into a bigger tapestry 
into a bigger picture, into a beautiful house connected to other believers, connected to other followers of Jesus. And you actually become the house of God. That your life is the temple of God himself. That makes me feel more important than Michael Jordan. That makes me feel more important than Kobe Bryant or Bill Gates. That makes me feel immeasurably important. See, this is a picture of, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a chapel in France. Um, I think it's called Saint-Chapelle in Paris. And what they did is they just took pieces of glass and they wove those pieces of glass together. It's one of the greatest um, stained glass things ever built. And it's really, you know, it's beautiful. I, I looked at a bunch of pictures of it online and stuff. And, um, and, you know, you see all these tiny little pieces of glass woven together in this gorgeous tapestry, this gorgeous, beautiful tapestry. And what I'm telling you today is your identity needs to be rooted in the fact that God lives in you. And here, there's two really cool applications to this. One is that if I'm the house of God, then that gives me intrinsic value. That satisfies my need for identity when I really believe that. But the other thing that's cool is that that connects me to every other follower of Jesus in a divine and supernatural way because I'm the house of God, but so are you, Corey. You're the house of God. And so are you, Jeremiah. You're the house of God. And so are you, Cheech. You're the house of God. And women are the house of God, too. Didn't just meet the pick guys. But, you know, like all of us together are woven together into one huge international, beyond time, beyond denomination, beyond race, one beautiful tapestry that God has been building through our little shattered pieces of our old identity. He takes those things, redeems them, and puts us into place as a part of his house. Friend, every insecurity is satisfied through what we just read. Every fear. Uh, the band can come up. Every worry. You know, years ago, I was really battling big time with my identity. And, uh, you know, I really was like looking for like mentors and spiritual fathers, you know, like really like looking for that it was a, I think I was like 19 at the time. And I was really just wrestling. And I remember hearing about this church service. Some of you guys have heard this that know my story and stuff. But I heard about this church service. I was a Christian at the time. had been a Christian for a number, few years. Got saved as a teenager. Gave my life to Jesus. But still had this gap, like needing acceptance. You know what I mean? Like always like looking for somebody to tell me good job. Because I was always like hungering for acceptance. And I remember I went to this church service, big church service. Hundreds and hundreds of people were there. And this well-known Christian preacher gets up. And he gets up and he says, listen, today we're going to talk about spiritual fathers and mothers. And I'm going to pray for you. And God is going to satisfy that need for acceptance that your heart longs for. And I was like, dude, I'm at the right place because I'm all jacked up in this area. I have this like overextended like need for acceptance, you know. And so the whole service goes by. I can't really remember what he preaches about. But he's like, you know, this well-known guy. And he says, listen, if you need that prayer, come forward. So hundreds of people come forward at the end of the meeting. And I'm waiting. You know, I'm trying to be respectful. And uh, one person goes. The next person, I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. Ends up that I'm literally the last guy to get prayer. And I'm standing there, the last guy to get prayer. And uh, he's praying for this other girl. And he's praying for her. And she's weeping. God's really touching her. And I'm thinking like, yeah. God's going to touch me. 
God's going to heal this need for acceptance. God's going to satisfy this need for identity. He's going to meet this thing right here. So I'm waiting. I'm waiting. He finally finishes praying for this girl. And he looks at me. Super well-known preacher guy. And he says, Boy, I'm really tired. I think I'm going to call it a night. And he literally walks right through the room, out the back door. And 19-year-old Justin's standing there like, you got to be kidding me. The band's singing. Everybody's dancing and clapping. And I remember I just walked back to my seat and I was like, what the heck? And I sat down and I just started to weep like a little baby. I just started to weep just like this, just, just a mess. I was just like, God, what, what is going on? I mean, I want to know who I, I want to feel accepted. I want spiritual fathers to just validate me. What is going on? And I'm just weeping and weeping and weeping. And in that moment, this is why I've been praying all week for you. In that moment, I had one of the most intense spiritual encounters of my entire life. And I felt the Holy Spirit just kind of come around me. And I'm standing there at this church and I'm just weeping as hundreds of people are singing and dancing. And I'm sitting there weeping. And the Holy Spirit, God the Father, speaks by the Spirit of Christ into my heart and says one simple statement just says, You are my son. And I'm telling you, the moment I heard that, it was like a shockwave. I never expected that. It wasn't my own conscious hoping for something. It broke into my bitterness and my fear. And it just shattered, shattered the self-image that I'd been trying to construct. And all of a sudden I realized that none of that mattered anymore. That that was not who I am. That was not what I'm supposed to build life on. That was not what decided my value. But there was something far greater that decided my value. And it was the reality that God himself had adopted me and made me his temple. Friend, I don't know where you're at today. But I believe that in this day, in this little community, week 11, God is establishing amongst us a people who are secure in who we are. Not because of our accolades, not because somebody put our name in lights, but because of who God is in us. And I want to challenge you right now. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. I challenge you right now to accept him today. To turn away from your sin and to receive him as Lord and as Savior. To give your heart to Him. And maybe you're here and you do know Christ. I want to urge you today. We're going to sing a song in a second. And I want to urge you today that as we sing this song to say, Lord, would you meet me like that? Would you redefine who I am? Would you strip away and crush all of my false definitions of self? And would you secure me in your love.